This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey guys, welcome to this week's podcast. As you can see, once again, I'm trying something new and different here. Um, I just uh, I still have to work in the confines of my tiny-ass little apartment, so as much as I'd love to have a green screen wall or something else, I basically have to find something that folds up when I'm done. So I figured the fold-up green screen might actually work because I'm not really trying to be in front of anything. I'm just trying to be able to put whatever I'm talking about like right here. So, uh, yeah, let me know what you think in the comments. If it sucks, I'll just switch back to something else. But I just figured the glare of the window last time was so much that uh, you could, it was hard to tell what was floating above me and what was not. So, anyway, let me jump right into the news, but hopefully this will be better than last week. So, I'll start out by talking about the Raspberry Pi SCART solutions that I've got, got in this week. Um, the first one is from Arcade Forge, and this is the one that Johan was talking about. Uh, and basically, it just has an audio pigtail over to its circuit board, and then this plugs directly into the Raspberry Pi, and you could even leave the case on if the case has the hole here. Um, and it works perfect. I mean, it, it, it just works. So if you had already been using one of these, one of the um, VGA solutions for the Pi, then all you would do is just do the same configuration and throw this on, and it works with any of the softwares. So uh, this is great, and this is exactly what I was hoping for, and I feel like for your average person, this would probably be the best solution, um, just because everything's already integrated into it, and uh, you're good to go. So I've been testing it uh, with Laka, and I really, really like that software. The, um, the There's just every option you can imagine. Um, right now, the current build, you have to add a MAME core, but that's pretty easy if you know where to look for them. Um, and the Wi-Fi configuration actually works with it, which is not um, not common on the rest of these emulation boxes. You need to con uh, configure through wired. Um, but this one, the next one that came in, was the RGB Pi. And this is the one that's just a cable with all the components in the SCART head itself. Um, so you would just, same thing, just put it right in. Uh, and a lot of these Raspberry Pi cases don't have the little notch cut, so you're going to have to cut them yourself, which is why I cut my finger. <laughs> um, but yeah, that just goes right in, and this even includes audio through it. Um, it outputs a really nice-looking RGB, but you have to use their custom software with this. Um, I think you could probably move the timings and the configuration out of theirs to another one, um, but this is designed specifically for their version of Recallbox, and Recallbox is my other favorite version of the uh, Pi emulation that I've been using. Um, Recallbox works perfect with pretty much 
every kind of controller you throw at it. Um, and you don't have to worry about different cores and which emulation. You just load your ROMs in and it does it all automatically. In their version, they're even working on um, getting pixel-perfect emulation. And I know uh, the first thing CRT gamers are going to say is there's no such thing as pixel-perfect on CRTs. But there is with the different video modes and timings. Um, you'll be able to tell for games like Mortal Kombat... Um, like when you choose your fighter and then it scrolls down, um, if it's running correctly, like, uh, if it's tuned to the correct output resolution and refresh rate, it's a smooth scrolling, whereas most time, most of the time you'll see that judder because of the refresh rate. Um, but it's a great solution and, um, he's making constant progress on it. So I really don't know which one I would say is the definitive, you know, this is the one to order at the moment. Um, I, I would say for now, if you already have a solution that you're using and you just need an RGBS output, um, Arcade Forge, no doubt. You just plug this thing in and it works with the same configuration files as any of the VGA stuff did. Um, but if you want to, if you need a smaller footprint, because this wouldn't require a SCART cable because it's already in it, um, or if you just want to try something new, um, I would go with the RGB Pi. But uh, both are awesome, and I will be doing a, a way more in-depth video on this once I have the testing complete. But I would guess that that's a, at least a month away, because um, I'm, I really want to dig in and do this one right. So for anybody that wants uh, to configure the Arcade Forge one or any of the VGA adapters, just see my 240p SCART page, uh, 240p Raspberry Pi page, and you'll have another follow-up uh, as soon as I can with all of these other ones. Um, and I'll really try to do a side-by-side -side comparison of even a Windows PC and uh, lag tests and all that. But like I said, it's quite a ways off. Next, My Life in Gaming just uploaded a short video about the status of the Framemeister. And it's basically what we would all expect. Um, you know, the main ship inside the Framemeister is going end of life. They're doing one more production run and they're going to have stock to last a year or two. So don't panic, just buy it from the normal places, and whatever you do, don't feed those eBay sellers. You know, there's some for 800 2000 screw those guys, don't ever pay that kind of money for it. Just, they'll be back in stock in about a month, and they should have full stock of them in Japan for at least a year. And I, I still think there is going to be a follow-up product that's probably better, so... Uh, I'd certainly just, whatever you do, don't go out and spend thousands on one. You don't, you know, there's no need to. There will be plenty coming within a month or so. I've mentioned a few times in the last few weeks how there's an update to the SD to SNES ROM cart and how the latest version has the best audio chip in it for MSU1 games. And older versions, while it won't affect anything else, uh, the MSU1 audio really isn't as perfect as it could be. And there were a few guides of uploading or, or updating the amps with the newer one. And now Bordy, uh, the guy who's designed tons of awesome SNES stuff, he just put a PCB up um, that allows you to make this installation way easier. So there's a link in the description to where uh, the PCBs are being tested. And as soon as he, uh, he gives it the final OK, he said he's going to upload the link to his GitHub. So if anybody wants, they could just order it from like OSH Park get a few of them, solder your own chip on it, and make installation way cleaner and way easier. So huge thanks to him, as always, for just, you know, doing all this great work and just giving it away to the community. So thanks to Bordy, and I hope to have him on here eventually in a couple of months. So I can't wait to hear directly from him and hear about some of these crazy projects he works on. 
Someone recently uploaded a bunch of ROM hacks that allow you to use the N64 D-pad on a handful of games. So games like Yoshi Story and Mischief Makers. Um, some people felt that the D-pad would have been a more comfortable way to play that instead of the middle analog stick. And if you'd ever wondered and you have a ROM cart, now's your way to try it out. So the link's in the description and there's a whole bunch of good stuff on there. The Neo SD team just posted a new firmware for their Neo SD ROM carts. It's version 1.05 and it has faster flashing time for most games, plus a bunch of different additions, uh, like you could hold different combinations when starting the game to get to different BIOSes and stuff. So it's, uh, it's actually really helpful for the MVS version. Uh, I still haven't re uh, received mine yet. I got the AES version for the home consoles. Um, and I think I don't think it's uh, anybody's gotten theirs yet. So as soon as it arrives, I'm going to do a full review, of course. But uh, at least you know, at least by this firmware, you know that they're going to continue to work on the product and hopefully still support it in the future. DB Electronics has just released a 3D design file for a SNES multi-out. Um, so he released the design file open source to the public, and this is really for people that want to add the multi-out to the back of their front-loading NES. He said he's also going to try to work on a design for the top loaders and uh, maybe uh, a few other things like that. But basically, I guess this all stemmed from the fact that you could buy them online and some people sell them for fair prices, but some people were selling them for very unfair prices. And he kind of got frustrated, so he made his own 3D model and now he just gave it away to everybody for free to share. So if you have access to a 3D printer, um, uh, I'll link in the description to where you can get them, but just download it and make your own. And then uh, he also has the design for the PCB in there, which you'll have to get from a normal PCB manufacturer like OSH Park or something. But, you know, thanks again to Renee for, uh, for donating something else to the retro gaming community. And I'm going to try to get him on next week to kind of tell his story and to bother him a lot. <laughs> so uh, we're looking forward to that too. Analog NT just posted a video of all the features of the NT Mini, um, and it shows different things like the RGB output, and uh, it does 5x scaling. So it seems very cool. Um, I've asked for a demo unit, and I've actually asked to get the owner on the podcast to kind of talk to him about his products, and hopefully that happens at some point. I would love to do a full in-depth review of it. Um, I'd actually love to do the review first, and then kind of get him on to get his thoughts on it. So... Um, I'll keep bugging him, but it's uh, up to him if he wants to do it or not, I guess. The video game attorney just posted a guide on Reddit that really goes through what anybody working on uh, any kind of software video game project should know before going any further. Um, it really kind of just goes over a cheat sheet and pricing for any time that you, you really want to protect your own work or you're trying to start a company or you just want to protect yourself pretty much. So um, I really recommend it that anybody that's even remotely interested in this stuff just give it a quick read. Um, but, you know, this guy very clearly cares about the gaming community. So, you know, he put it up there as a way to really just reach out and warn people and kind of give people a heads up. So I think it's a pretty good read, and I hope to have him on here sometime too to really pick his brain about all the gray area stuff uh, that I've uh, I've been wondering all the years about ROMs and things like that. But... Um, yeah, it's really nice of them to put up there, and I definitely recommend it for anybody who wants to make a business out of this at all. I found a very cool ROM hack called Retroid, which is basically Super Metroid, but the entire map is redone to be the original Metroid. Um, and anytime you go to a new zone, it saves automatically, so it's not like Zero Mission. It really is pretty much the, uh, the original Metroid's map. 
And it just it takes elements of both games. Like you can't kneel down and shoot like you would in Super Metroid because you weren't able to do that in the original. But you can shoot diagonally, things like that. So I absolutely loved it. I'm up to uh, Ridley right now, which is insanely hard. So hopefully the rest of the game will be as good as this. But anybody that's a fan of Super Metroid or the original Metroid, I highly recommend it. Um, and if anybody knows how to get a hold of the author, let me know, because I've uh, PM'd him on a couple of the forums and never heard back yet. But uh, I want to get permission to include this into a couple of ROM packs and stuff like that, because I really enjoyed this game a lot, and I hope any Super Metroid fans will give it a shot. The team behind the Genesis port of Cave Story just updated the ROM once more. Uh, it's mostly just bug fixes and a couple of music tweaks, but it's great to see they're back on the project. Uh, they took a well-deserved break for, I think, a month or two just to kind of chill out, but it looks like they're back on it, and I I'm really excited and can't wait till this one's totally finished. I want to do a full playthrough on Genesis and maybe even record the thing, because it's just such a cool game, and it's so neat to be able to play it on an original Genesis console. And lastly, it looks like the NES Classic hack tool has been updated again, and somebody put the entire NES library on it. So uh, I think that's it. I think it's fully hacked, and uh, now it's probably worth getting if it's available again. Um, it's still not my favorite way to play NES games. I mean, not even close, but for that price, to have the entire library on it, yeah, it's a pretty good deal. So thanks to Owen Phoenix for sending me that tip, and uh, if these things ever come up for sale again, I'll let everybody know. Okay, on to the Q&A stuff. I guess i got to start out by talking about the Switch. Um, there were a ton of comments about rendering in 900p and how it works and you know how that's just kind of the way things are going. And I think my only point was that the Switch is supposed to be a next-generation console. And at the very least, I would like to see it output 4K, uh, which it doesn't. So, and the reasoning is because in 2017 there's going to be way more TVs that are 4K sold than anything else because it's just cheaper for the manufacturer to keep spitting out, you know, hundreds of thousands of 4K screens rather than try to keep up all of them. Um, and I understand that no console now is going to render in 4K, uh, or if they are, it's probably going to be, you know, a while before they figure that out. But at the very least, maybe upscale it so we don't have to rely on our TV's crappy upscalers to do it. Um, but as far as the other technical details, and I think maybe I was just sick and out of it and talking out of my ass, but I guess my only point was that it, it doesn't feel like a next-gen console. It feels like, what, you know, it, it feels like specs from, from five years ago. So I, I guess at the end of the day, it doesn't matter at all as long as the games work well and are fun to play. It just, as somebody that, you know, loves games, uh, especially loved Nintendo growing up, I just really wished they'd pushed a little farther to have something that, you know, I mean, it's basically as powerful as your average tablet these days. So what's going to happen five years from now when there's another generation of other consoles and this thing not even going to come close to keeping up? So maybe I'm totally wrong, but I guess we'll all see in a few months when the Switch comes out. And another mistake from last week, uh, Vitor asked a question, and I didn't answer all of it. I forgot to answer the second half, uh, which I thought was kind of important, and I pronounced his name wrong. What a shock. Let me see if I can get it right this time. Uh, Dalakoya? Eh, I'm sorry, man. Please don't be offended. I just, I suck at all these things. Um, but he was asking my opinion on plugging consoles in one at a time 
versus having everything tied up in like a, a switch setup. And I think I, I get a little carried away sometimes when I talk about adding different switches and components and drawing up the blueprints of your ultimate setup. Um, it's really, there's nothing wrong with plugging uh, each console in one at a time. And in many ways, it could be a huge help. So obviously, you know, you don't need to worry about running your cables nice and neat and then having to take them out for something. But also, you don't have to worry about points of failure. So you're going to get, you know, anytime you add anything to the mix, another switch, another cable, there could be something broken in the chain that, you know, maybe you just lose a little bit of signal quality. Uh, maybe the video looks good, but you get some audio hum. There's a million things that can go wrong. And when you're plugging directly in one at a time, not only is that chance lessened, but troubleshooting's way easier because you have way less components. So um, right now I have my RGB monitor on wheels and then I have my consoles uh, in boxes. But I know a lot of people that do something similar, they actually even keep their consoles um, on display uh, on like a vertical shelf. Looks really nice. And then I have the retro DC powered. So it's one power supply that works with almost all the consoles. Um, and that way I could just go over, right, the power supply is right there. I have a SCART to BNC adapter so I could plug that in. I haven't gone too crazy and gotten direct BNC adapters for all my consoles, but who knows, maybe that's around the corner. But yeah, it's a great solution, and it might be the better solution for many people. And I just, I feel like I often forget to talk about it. So, um, sorry I forgot. And uh, he also mentioned that, um, I guess in the context of when when is emulation a good choice or a better choice... And he mentioned consoles like PS2, N64, and the Wii, and the GameCube, of course, that could actually be rendered in higher resolutions with good emulation, like the Dolphin emulator, for example. Um, and, you know, I kind of have mixed feelings about that, because I've seen Mario Kart Wii rendered in 1080p, and it was just gorgeous. I mean, I, I had no idea that game could look that good. Uh, but it's still emulation, and you still might get lag, um, but maybe the lag is a good trade-off. Maybe it wouldn't matter in certain games. Um, with things like the Bliss Box, you could certainly plug your original controllers into it for things like PS2 but and N64. So I don't really know where I stand in that yet. Um, I guess if it works for you, then that's obviously always the right solution, but you know, testing lag on those things is something I would like to do eventually. Uh, but if you're only getting a frame of lag... I mean, a frame. I, mean, I think it's usually minimum two frames, probably more like three or four. Um, but if if it's less than that, I think I might rather see certain things rendered in a high resolution than um, than than not. I guess. But I hope that was a, an okay answer. Um, and sorry for not pronouncing anything right. Um, and I hope I didn't ramble too much. Next, I get a message from Sean on Facebook asking, since so many capacitors are going bad in consoles. What about inside the cartridges themselves? Uh, and I actually never even thought of that, and no one's asked that question before, so I reached out to Voltar to see what he would think about it. And he said the capacitors found in carts, for the most part, are bypass capacitors from power to ground. Um, and that's kind of like if you do your own uh, 7314 chip, you add that capacitor between 5 volts and ground. It's just more like a filter. Um, and it'll work without them, but... You know, it's not the best practice, I guess. Um, and he said he's seen a few cartridges not boot because of that, but not a lot. So it's not something that you should be pulling your cartridges open and replacing all the caps on, you know, it's probably one or two for each. Um, but if your cartridge fails, uh, first 
uh, first thing I would do is make sure that the contacts are clean, and then second, I guess now, I would check the capacitor. Uh, unfortunately, unlike resistors, you can't just put a multimeter up to them. You'd actually need a, a capacitor checking tool. So, um, you know, if you'd have to visually look. If the capacitor is leaky and damaged, yeah, definitely broken. Um, but if not, if your cartridge isn't working anyway, you might as well just change it out. It's not an expensive thing to do, so... Uh, but great question. Not a, not something I ever thought of before. Next, Matt G asked, are there any inexpensive scalers out there that will upscale the Game Gear's resolution of 160 by 144? And no, not not really inexpensive scalers. Um, you would have to use something like a DVDO scaler with a zoom function, um, or you could use uh, the Framemeister with Firebrand Nexus profiles. But if you're doing the original output resolution, no, there's really not much you could do. Um, also, if you want to do McWill's Game Gear mod, that'll do 480p, uh, and there's also another stretched mode, but uh, as you'd imagine, I would like, I prefer to use it in the original resolution of it, uh, just into 480p, but it's kind of tricky when you come to the, the handheld consoles like that, because it's hard to make them look good on your average TV, but I still, uh, my preferred way to do that was just 240p out directly into my, um, PVM, so maybe somebody knows of a good tool that has a zoom function that'll work uh, in 240p for the PVMs. Maybe there's some crazy Extron device that'll do it, but if you know about it, post in the comments. Next, LeChuck333 asked if I know of a good HDMI discard downscaler. Um, he's getting the Ultra HDMI and wants to use the deblur on a PVM, Just uh, and he would rather try to downscale it than get a whole different RGB mod with the deblur firmware. Um, so uh, there's two parts to that. So as you just mentioned, you could just get Tim's mod um, and then add Bordy's Deblur firmware, which does pretty much the similar thing. But to answer the question of do you know of a good HDMI to SCART downscaler, no. Um, you would have to output in 480p, and then you would have to go HDMI to VGA, and then VGA to RGB. So the devices for that would be the Mimo Genius 2 or the Extron Emotia. Um, which are either really expensive, hard to find, both. So, uh, unfortunately, there's no good answer to your question at the moment, and I, I hope somebody will eventually make a downscaler for us um, and things that could take, you know, I, I would just have a DVI input and, you know, whatever VGA, BNC output. That way you could do digital and analog. Um, as long as it's 480p, uh, cut it in half to 240p. So hopefully someday somebody will work on that, but at the moment, you're kind of stuck. Stimp3413 asked if there's a ROM set like the Smoke Monster set that has all the completed games 100% and unlocked. Um, no, but that's not a ROM set. That would be a save game set. And every time I've tried to find those, um, I would just Google it and I would find a website that maybe has something posted here or there. But a repository for that would be kind of cool, and it's way less to worry about from a legal standpoint. I don't think there's any kind of legal issues with posting a save game file. So if anybody knows of something like that that exists, uh, please let us know in the comments. I'd love to check it out. And lastly, Dan Mons posted some good info in the comments. So first, when I referred to an, a CRT monitor being put on its side and used the, you know, the long way, I called it Tate. Um, and apparently that was very wrong. What a shock. I mispronounced something. Um, 
Uh, and according to the definition on the Shmups forum, it's Tate is a shortened form of the Japanese verb tatiru, which means to stand. Pronounced tate, though the common mispronunciation of Tate has gained semi-acceptance. Also commonly spelled with all capital letters, though it's not an acronym. Well, that was my uh, my confusion, because I saw it with the capital letters and assumed it was an acronym, and that's why I've been calling it Tate. So Tate seems a little weird. Sounds like I'm talking about Tatas or something, but uh, how about I'm just going to call it Vertical CRT. <laughs> um, and also, he posted a, a really great link to, that describes uh, how different mode lines in CRTs are created, because a lot of times, I think even myself, I'll mention pixels, but there are no pixels on a CRT. Um, in the world of flat screen TVs, sometimes it's just really easy to describe things that way, but it's not a pixel at all. Uh, and this article is kind of long, but it goes into great detail describing um, exactly what's going on inside a CRT. I thought that was pretty cool. So um, thanks very much for posting both of those, uh, and uh, keep them coming. Okay, up next I have an interview with someone who created many MSU1 audio hacks for the SD to SNES and Super Nintendo emulators. Um, and I was really excited to talk to him because I've been uh, listening, I guess, listening to his work for a long time. Um, he goes by Dark Shock on the forums sometimes. Uh, so if you notice MSU by Dark Shock, it's him. And his name is, uh, here we go, another murdered pronunciation, Mikel Lerouge. Yeah, I I'm sorry, dude. Uh, I called him Michael in the interview because... Um, sometimes I'm just a stupid American as much as I wish I wasn't. So, uh, sorry. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's Mikel, but who knows? I am just, I hope everybody uh, points and laughs at me when I get all of these pronunciations wrong. And I really, really hope that nobody takes it personally because I just, I suck at it. But interview was awesome and a lot of fun. We get to talk about a lot of cool things. Um, and you might notice one or two cuts in there because I, uh, I tried to, put in a piece of uh, a picture or show a website while we were talking and failed miserably so um but uh hopefully the audio came out uh, very good this time i tried really hard to not make any more mistakes and i think it was fine um the last one when i interviewed qwerty moto uh it was fine when i tested it and then as soon as i uploaded it everything got a little crazy so let's all cross our fingers uh and thank you again to Mikel for a great interview and i'll see you guys next time Okay, guys, I am here with Dark Shock, Michael, um, from Canada. Where in Canada are you? Uh, I live in Montreal. Montreal? I actually might be there in a couple of months for uh, a video. I know, yeah. because I'm part of this organization, actually. Are you really? Yeah. Oh, very cool, very cool. So, yeah, I knew when the guys told me, oh, yeah, of course, I knew Bob Wizard. We know we knew Red Side for a while. We used that as a reference when you learn about RGB and stuff. So oh. I got all my... Uh, my first master is packed somewhere because. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can see your uh, your two your top loader uh, AV Famicom and your Nest behind you over there. So. Yeah, all of them I, I mode myself for RGB, which is in the Tim kit. Oh yeah, they're, they're both great. Yeah, uh, is that all your consoles in the uh, the IKEA uh, shelf behind you? Yeah, yeah, it is. But you see some old in it because I always like. Uh, grab some console to an event or to a cabin or every event so it's all a mess yeah. and then plug it back properly maybe someday i will do it but 
Nuts. Yeah, for a while I had everything set up in a, a more of a vertical cabinet, kind of like the one you have next to it. Yeah. Um, and it worked great, but the only problem was anytime I needed to take something out, um, I didn't have two, I should have bought two power supplies and two cables for everything, because then I'd have to pull the whole thing out, pull the cables yeah. out, and now I just have everything boxed up, and I only plug it in one at a time, and it, it's a pain, because sometimes you just want to walk over and plug something in, but um, it uh, it does make things, or at least for me, easier, because I'm modding and experimenting more than I am playing, so... <laughs> and understand the, the feeling. So that's why you see two consoles on my table right there. Because I asked to do the same thing. I had to prog it. Just bring a console. I want to play this. And Now, do both of those have Tim's kit, or did you put the high deafness in one of them? No, no, no just both Tim kits. Gotcha. Because I did that uh, two years ago, in 2014, something like that. Yeah. So the high deafness kit wasn't out yet. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, I've been wanting to talk to you for a while because I am a huge, huge fan of your MSU One audio packs, and a couple of times we almost did this, but then, I, for whatever reason, just things never fell into place, so thanks for being patient and finally getting on here with me, but um, yeah, I mean, that stuff, uh, I'm sure anybody that follows the podcast, it's, it really fascinates me, and it blows my mind each time I experience it, you know, and it just... Mm -hmm. um, I, I always like to talk about people with people who do that, and uh, you're uh, you were one of the first names that I saw pop up when the MSU on audio stuff first started coming out. Um, do you want to oh, talk really? a little bit about that and how you got started and and things like that? Uh, I'm surprised to heard that because I thought you were heard about the the link to the past back first. Because that's how I found about this old MSU one stuff. So one day I was just looking at uh, RetroCollect. Do you know this website from yes. the UK? Mm -hmm. So I just saw this and I sent a video to uh, to my colleague. It's like, look at this. This is insane. You can play like real SNES game with a flashcard with CD quality audio. Was like and video as well. Was like I was totally blown away. Because this uh, Super Nintendo is my favorite console. Uh, close second, the, the close second is the NES. The first one would be the, the Super Nintendo. You can see the, up there where I got True Chrono Triggers and mm -hmm. Mega Man X and Zelda, all the <laughs> complete in box. So, <laughs> and uh, I'm actually a software a game developer, a game programmer uh, for my daily job. So I knew about. Oh, so computer. you're a software programmer for your day job? Yeah. Do you do um, what kind of stuff do you do? I'm a game developer. So, uh, but what kind of games, like uh, mobile games, uh, console games? So, let's, when I started in Montreal, I was doing, like, in-flight entertainment games. So, you got in airplanes, you got some sunscreen, and with some small controllers, you can do game for that. I just was, like, called it, was called a programmer, more, more a debugger. So, mm -hmm. I was just debugging games. After a year and a half, I was just fed up with that, because I didn't do, like, four seven years of postgraduate studies to do that. So I applied at Ubisoft Montreal and I got hired and as a, as a sum programmer or Assassin's Creed 3. I did the Black Flag and then Unity. And then I found out about a small indie company that was doing pixel art 2D games called Tribute Games. Mm -hmm. The one that did the uh, Wizard, Mercenary Kings, Curses and Chaos, and the next game will be Flintook. We're coming out uh, in late March. Mm -hmm. So it was like a perfect match for me like i'm doing 2d pixel game retro style game as a day job and i also had the god chance to write my own uh, horror game engine in c plus was like this is like the dream job yeah, that's basically. amazing yeah 
So that's why you send me links to all these games. I uh, any kind of two D two D side scroller, I love. It's my favorite style. So. Yeah, yeah. So Mercenary Kings is like a mashup between Metal Slug and Monster Hunter. So the go the game the game looks like Metal Slug, but this is not a real run, uh, fast paced running gun. It's like more you got levels that you go over and over, and there's different objectives you have to do. You have to collect a lot of things, craft weapons, craft or to honestly what. Some people, when you see the game, they thought, oh, it's a fast-paced action running gun, but it is not, so... Jeez, yeah. that's... Um, and what was that called? I, I'm pretty sure I've actually played that game before. Yeah. Um, Mercenary Kings. Mercenary Kings. I'm going to look at that it's, up right now. Yeah, so it's out on PC and PS4, and uh, soon um, Xbox One and Vita. As soon as the porting guy in the... I yes. have seen this game. This is yeah. cool. This is really cool. Yeah. I didn't work in this game though. I was uh, I was brought to the company after what uh, I did curses and chaos for. I just did the port to PS4 and Vita basically. So uh, yeah. Curses and chaos. Yeah, this is like a single screen brawler. You can play co-op online and local. Oh okay. So to get him back, all to get started on MSU you want to ask. Also, uh, well, back hold on, in before we before we go, what's the go new ahead. game that's coming out um, in March? You said. It's called Flintook. It's a uh, roguelike. Uh, you got uh, a hook. You got a 3DC hook. You can hook on rings. I got a, also a gun. You can shoot at 3DC uh, degrees. And uh, each each ship you fight. It's a uh, you got small section level we did pre, uh, before that. And uh, but at it, all the level that uh, put together, it's all random generated. Huh. So. So every time you go, go on a ship, it's always a different ship. You see, you see some rooms like Biting of Isaac or Rogue Legacy coming back, and the game looks amazing. I mean, the guy with you have a pixel artist, or it's just out of this world what the world that he did. And in the game role is exactly. Did you play in this now that you were? Um, uh, I was no, no. Uh, I was a gameplay programmer. I just I was brought to the, just finish the project because I was working on the next game after Flintook. Just working uh, because on the, in tribute we use a all engine uh, base on the XNA. Mm -hmm. You know the thing that you use on the Xbox 360 to release indie games. Mm -hmm. So we use the engine true and true. But the thing is, it's a real pain to port this engine to console, and I feel. A little, and we're just porting uh, Flintock to Xbox One and PS4, and we really feel the pain. So my boss decided, okay, I'm tired of this. To fighting with, you don't have uh, any debugging on this is really hard because you can do source level debugging, and we just did okay. We just did gonna do our own C++ and engine. So C++ is a more standard language for game development. So everything for the first future will be. Like, already the new engine is running on PS4, Xbox One, Vita, so don't import it to a new, uh, like the Switch if you get the dev kit someday. I don't know if you get that. It would be more, far more easier to do a port using the new engine than the old engine. So, so yeah. on Flintock, I was brought just to, uh, to age up the game. I, do, I did some bosses, I did uh, all the perks, uh, and just doing the final optimization. To get it running on PS4 properly at 60 frames per second and and memory restraining stuff, so I did a lot of stuff on FilmTuck. Yeah, you know that's funny because that's something that's just in the past few weeks a lot of us have been debating, and I, I have always held strong that a 2D side scroller really needs to be 60 frames a second. You can't do it at yeah. 30. So 
No, 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 no. For for two D game, you have to be a sixty. Hmm. It feels it feels weird. For three D game though, three D is fine. Three D frames per second is fine. And I remember when you just and when I was working in Assassin's Creed at Ubisoft, the thing you do in a single frame is just I just can't believe was all this was fitting in so in single three uh, a single frame like uh, you got physics and animation and AI and the uh, crowd and sound and uh, it was like insane the thing you can do with with thirty milliseconds per per seconds yeah jeez so and you guys are you planning on doing any switch ports of these games uh, no because we don't have the dev kit yet gotcha gotcha yeah okay. All right, well, sorry for getting off track, but uh, I mean, that's pretty awesome that you're a big part of the, the retro gaming stuff and you're actually a game designer, too. That's awesome. So I yeah, wanted, uh, I'm I was really curious about that. I'm not a game designer. I'm really like a, the low level, a programmer guy. Yeah, you I like, work for a game designing company, though, which is just, that's yeah. really cool. You're really, your whole life revolves around all these things, which is great. Yeah, so. it's, uh, sometimes you will save a bit too much, like, oh, I'm centering at home. Sometimes, like, I'm just living the life, basically. <laughs> That's so, awesome. We can, yeah. So anyway, the MS back to the MSU stuff. <laughs> yeah. So uh, back in 2013, I actually wrote an NES animator for myself just for fun because mm-hmm. we're playing like Mega Man with my friend and just speaking about all the hardware works, and it got me like interest. Oh, okay, now I have all the knowledge to write. I try in the past writing later, but I didn't have all the background to do that. And this now I finally uh, achieve, except for audio. I didn't do audio, but at least I can play Contra uh, or Donkey Kong, Super Mario Brothers. So like, this is great achievement. So I knew about uh, 65.02 assembly language, which is what this SNES used, but like a more modern-ish, hackish way to do 16-bit version of 65.02. So when I saw the, the, uh, the, the Link to the Past hack, I was like, I can do this. And uh, uh, the first game that taught my mind was like a easy game, to, not doing RPG because doing RPG is really time consuming. Like I found out when doing Crow Trigger, and Mega Man X was like is more my top three game of all time. I could just beat the game in an hour and a half every time and not get bored playing it. But the thing is, uh, when I did Mega Man X, I was using the because BSNES used like manifest file mm-hmm. to, to to know, and the manifest file I used the one from uh, Link to the Past, so uh, because I didn't knew I was still, uh, still working, and the the save RAM is mapped in that file. But the thing is, is Mega Man X use save RAM to check if the user is in a copier. So just for a copy protection kind of thing. So if this, the save is map, you see all kind of weird glitches in the game. But I thought it was Michael doing that until I figured out, ah, uh, you got to be kidding. Like a month after that, <laughs> I was figured out, oh, you got to be kidding me. Only because the save RAM was mapped. Because as I was just starting to just undo all the copy protection thing they did. I found a, a forum post doing it that the gallery figured out all cat <laughs> and uh, yeah it was a learning experience but uh, i have the time uh, doing this because uh, i was was at ubisoft yeah between project you have downtime you can do like very one so i did i was at work 
and doing MSU One X, and uh, one of my friends asked me to do a small modification to the NFS NSF player for the power pack. Mm-hmm. So I did that at work. I, I just brought my family come at work, like nobody noticed, nobody cared. <laughs> I did that for two months. Was that? Didn't I wasn't assigned to any project, so I just started doing that. So um, I I guess when uh, I the first one I saw was the Zelda DX one, and then right afterwards there was just a bunch of them. You did Mega Man X, I think Mega Man X two and three as well. Yes, and, then and uh, Mega Man Rock Man, which isn't that um no no that's the one coming next. I should I don't know yet if I'm gonna do it because uh, I'm quite busy with the life stuff and so. But uh, okay, I did first. I did Mega oh, Man X. Rock Man Seven, isn't that completed? Uh, yes, I did Mega Man Seven. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, gotcha. That's, okay, that's that's the last one I did. But there's the uh, Kristoff. The Poland guy who did metal, every metal music of Mega Man. Yes, uh, yes. Is right now doing a playthrough of uh, Rockman in Forty. Oh, gotcha. So, I already like get two comments about guys. Oh, I can't wait to heard the Rockman in Forty hacks. So maybe I will be able to just do it <laughs> because it's all Capcom stuff. Capcom music system is pretty basically the same between the games. Mm-hmm. So. When I figured out Mega Man X doing X3 and X2 was more be far much easier to do, so because this you see some pattern and similarities between the codes, so yeah, it takes much less uh, research to do that. I guess you also did uh, Secret of Mana. Yeah, it was a request actually, because yeah. uh, I'm more a uh, second. It's a two three guy. Mm-hmm. I never played Secret of Mana as a kid. Nobody uh, I knew asked this game, so. And it had the nostalgia fatter attached to it. Mm-hmm. But at first, I, I knew about Second Ditto 3 because uh, when I was a teenager, I was part of the French translation scene. So I knew about all the Japanese RPG, that Bamut Lagoon and uh, Second Ditto 3, which is called Secret of Manu 2 for some people. Uh, all their, uh, what's the other stuff? Uh, Treasure of the Rudras and uh, all the cool Japanese exclusive RPG. So I, I first played. The, the sequel only before Secret of Mana was so so when I see Secret of Mana I was like the graphics are not the bad are not greater the music is okay I think I really like the Secret of Mana too so but I got two people just I got the old, old pack of music so I just figured out okay they got two people that uh, put together a pack of music for all the game okay I'll, I just have to do it and uh, also I found out that the ki- the code this Kristoff code for music is kind of similar, but you can see in Secret of Mana the code is older than Chrono Trigger. Mm-hmm. But you see some similarities between the two. So hmm. Now I see you got, um, there's a bunch of different versions of Top Gear 2. I think yours was the... Uh, um... The CD32 Amiga version? Yes. Uh, at, the Top Gear 1 is was a request as well, and that's my least favorite of uh, all of this, because the... I tried to boost the audio for the CD, and every this, the the sound of the motor was still louder than the music, even on, on the emulator. So, but the flash card is way worse because you know the SD to SNES the volume output is really bad. It's not not within the newer version, the Rage of the Age. Mm. It's really it's really like the best mixing you can get. But I got the F version, so me too. Yeah, so I can hear. 
but it was a request so i just the guy said oh just took the just take the cd32 version of the track and the track i'm not really good as like really smoothy jazzy feeling kind of thing yeah and uh the turkey 2 track is more like a rush influence mm-hmm. like a 80s rush like a older fire mm-hmm. kind of vibe for turkey 2 i really like i preferred like the original version than the msu one i did i also did the when i saw uh, i showed my friend uh, the, the uh, Mega Man x act was like you gotta do rock and roll racing it's like like the obvious you know that's funny because that's my least favorite. <clears throat> Hold on. Yeah. Ooh, sorry, I'm still getting over a cold. But um, it's not because it was a bad job. It's just because um, it, you put the original songs in, which is awesome, and most people prefer it. But I almost kind of thought it was like uh, I don't know what the right word is. Just oddly charming to have the the digitized versions of those songs that I liked. You yeah. Know? I mean, Tim Fallon did a great job to convert the song to the CSNS format. So they are, I understand the quirky feeling you get when you play the original version. But like when you heard Bad to Be Bone playing when you start the game with your real it was like the feeling is so great. Yeah. So every time I heard that with the really powerful speaker system and when my friend was like, was blown away. I got chilled on my, yeah. <laughs> on my arms. Yeah, and you know, it's funny though, you just mentioned how um, the newest revision SD to SNES fixes the audio, but the rest has issues. Um, yeah. A few weeks ago, uh, there was a, a post up that shows how to make your, how to improve the op amp in it, but yeah. Bordy, the developer that does all those awesome things for the Super Nintendo, he just, um, he finished a PCB design, and I think it might be on GitHub, uh, I'm talking about it this week in the news, but... Basically, you just order a PCB from, like, OSH Park or one of those places, and then you take the SD to SNES, you remove a couple of the components, you stick this thing in its place, and you solder to it, and it makes, uh, you could upgrade the amp fairly easily. I mean, if anybody that's done any kind of basic modding could probably handle it. So, um, as soon as that's together, I'm going to make one, do a guide on it, and I really think uh, anybody that owns an older SD to SNES should do that. It's a big improvement on the audio. I'm really interested by that. I just want to. I don't want to figure out the, the plans. I'm not like a. I'm a software guy, not a hardware guy. So I know to auto solder, but doing like design. So getting an easy PCB, I just can put it out, do some some solder, and call it done. I'll be like really interested to do that. Yeah, and if you were able to do the uh, NES RGB stuff, this is this is probably the same. It's um, you know, it's it's going to take a lot less time. But, you know, a couple of the surface mount components are a little bit smaller. But if you could do that, you could definitely do this. No problem. Yeah, like I said to my friend, when when you desolder the PPU, you're like a real man now. <laughs> <laughs> because it's like you're right of passage. Yeah, it's a right of passage. Yeah, you did this. Yeah. Out of curiosity, what did you use for the desoldering? What tool did you have? Uh, for the, the NES, I used like a pump. Like, and... uh, one of the hand pump ones? Yeah, the plastic end pumps. Oh, God. It was, real, it was a real pain in the ass. Uh, I asked a mother back uh, we got in Sherbrooke. Uh, I think he's called Sensato. I don't know if you ever heard of this guy, Sensato Kuro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you live in Sherbrooke. I asked him some questions. Like, And the thing is, you just you just need to lift the the, the chip. And I was he told me, oh, the chip will just get off. So <laughs> oh, I was like, it doesn't, it doesn't get off. And then I just make a little small lever, and then oh, now it's getting off. <laughs> yeah. So, 
And for this uh, Famicom, I just got the Desolder Iron because... And it took, like, less than 30 minutes to desolder the PPU. Yeah, <laughs> it's um, it's funny because I see Jason from Game Tech and yeah. you know, I see his videos and he's done so many of those now. That but he, he got, can... like, a... You got like an echo gun with do yeah. you got the professional stuff to do that. Yeah, I, I did mine with my friend Phil, and he's got the same echo desoldering gun, and yeah. it still took a while. But I don't, I don't think I would have had the patience. It would have taken me hours to use my hand pump with it. So, no, it's a, it's really bad. You, just put, just buy a fifteen dollars desoldering iron on. I don't know what it was in the U.S. or electronics. I use which one I use. I used the light occasion version of Element 14 to buy the desoldering iron because my local store didn't have desoldering iron for some reason. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. They got all 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 the other stuff, but they don't have desoldering iron. I don't know why. But it's funny the board shop that was uh, by where I used to live. Um, he's done you know professional work for the companies that I'd work for. And when I asked him about desoldering, he kind of just looked at me like, "No, we don't we don't do that. If something needs desoldering, we'll make another one." We don't. <laughs> so a lot, of the, a lot of the professional guys are like, "Why are you taking apart old electronics? Just make a new board or something." I'm like, "Oh, you, you can't. It doesn't work like that." No, no, it doesn't work like that. But he could, but you need like a uh, like a. Kevin Orton kind of guy to design all the new PCBs. <laughs> right. So right. Um, so I'm going through your list. I think you did um, Ninja Turtles four as well. Yeah, that was That's cool. What, that was that. cool. Yeah. The thing is, I wasn't I wasn't sure we're doing that because, but just at work, I was just doing my work, and then I heard the Overclock Remix album, and then the the song with the Technodrome, mm-hmm. the fourth the fourth stage came out. Yeah, was like rocking's. The sin at the beginning was like, give me repo. I have to do this. <laughs> Just to hurt that in the game. And it's still like my f- two f- other favorite track from that album is the Neon Rat Rider. Uh, you heard that album for mm-hmm. Overclock Remix? Yeah. It's like a jazzy, progressive rock kind of feeling to it. I just love it. Just feel the track, the, the feel of the track perfectly, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, which one I ordered, I think. And then I wanted to save this one for last because my my favorite game of all time is Super Metroid. So oh man, I almost forgot about this. <laughs> <laughs> so when because... I played that, it absolutely blew my mind. But the thing that I loved about it is a lot of the ROM hacks for Super Metroid. All you have to do is patch the ROM hack with your MSU One patch, and then name yeah. it the same, and yeah. it'll work. So, like, I just played through Project Base with your um, MSU patch uh, done to it. So I was nice. able to use that music on it. And uh, there was a couple others I did as well. So that was really, really cool. Does that mean I use a safe base in the ROM that uh, no other ROM hacks use? Mm-hmm. I remember the code for that was pretty compact as well. It was, like, really small. Only it looked uh, to one function in the code. And we had to figure out that the, at the music bang stuff mm-hmm. because you got... Uh, the way the game works is all section of game has packs, but you use you have commons, uh, music cues like the f- intro fans for art. Oh man, this is on my mic. I got a PC up there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can see a totally a computer game because I got this iMac and my laptop over there, and they got uh, a desktop PC. My laptop PC. So let me just check that out. <laughs> Yeah, when I um when I had a bigger place, I had you know I had like five computers just because uh, I'm an Our... IT guy by day. So all the time I'll do side work. And one of the yeah. people I used to work for was a hedge fund, and their IT guy convinced them that they all needed to buy gaming rigs to have the fastest computers for trading. Nice. So they all had like five thousand dollar computers, and when something went wrong, 
they'd say, get it out, give me a new one. I don't, I don't want to deal with this. We can't afford, you know, we can't lose a million dollar trade because we have a bad hard drive. So I would go in and I would do, I would do a, you know, two hour job and just ask for whatever leftover computers they had. And most of the time it was just needed a power supply, needed a new drive. Occasionally it would need a new heat sink, but that's it. I'd end up getting like a couple of thousand dollars worth of computers just for a few hours worth of work. So that's nice. It was awesome. That's really, that that's really cool. <laughs> so I got my notes for Metroid over there. So the index zero of the bank is silence. Uh, one is uh, the appearance fanfare. So when you uh, load a save, you're either, what's the, the fanfare? You know what I mean? It's a acquisition fanfare. So the third one is the item room. When you get into the item room, you get a weird, uh, I don't know how to say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, four is always uh, an ambience, and then you got five and six, which like the main or the secondary music. So let's say you are in the the wicked ship. I heard I know I say this really bad, but uh, you get the the one with electricity and one with not. Mm-hmm. So in the bank, so you you have to figure out the banks as well. Also, the the bank are in multiple of three. So doing that with the in computer, you need multiple of two. It's more easier to deal with that because you have to. You can do just bit shifting to do multiplication division. Mm-hmm. And with turbo, it's like, oh man, I have, you'd have to do uh, more tricky trick to figure that out. Hmm. But yeah, the, when I heard the the Blake Robinson soundtrack, I was like, I have to do this. Yeah. And also, uh, also for me, Super Metroid is like one of my favorite game of all time. So every game I did basically was like. All my top ten on the Super Nintendo, basically, except for ups, uh, except for requests like Secret of Mana, Tokyo Two, and yeah. Now I think you actually um, a while back. Uh, I still have it here. You sent me kind of like a cheat sheet on how to make how to use your work to replace the audio with a different one. Um, yeah, because you asked me about the metal. Yeah, the Metroid stem- the... Metal by Stemage. He's a. Uh, yeah. I mean, that guy. I love. I love that album. I was at some random business trip years ago and I walk into the warehouse and there's the heavy metal version of Brinstar playing. And I just was like, no warehouse. yeah, I just went, Hey, who the hell's playing music? And I, I, they were a customer or, or we were the customer. So everybody got fr- afraid. They thought I was mad. And you know, one, one kind of nerdy guy in the back was like, I was, <laughs> what the hell is that? He's like Metroid metal. I'm like, Oh, you, where's the website? Give me it right now. I'd love it. That's my favorite game. And it was funny as hell, but yeah, I went nuts when I heard that, and I'm trying to. Um, oh man, I got it here somewhere. But um, oh yeah, so you uh, you sent me the uh, the list of which file is what, so I should be able to just take um, uh, take the 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 music and then use a converter and then rename yeah. it just to the same files that you have. Exactly. Right? But the tricky part with uh, when you do edit audio is finding the loop points. Mm-hmm. So you have to in Audacity you have to, you have when you use the, in the bottom you see the the time, we can set that to samples. So you, that's why the, that's what you need to use. You need to use a sample point to tell the converter. Oh, the, the loop point is there, but finding that is a real tricky point. Well, could you do that, or could you just treat it like um like a soundtrack so that you know the song ends and then there's two or three seconds of silence and it begins again? Yeah, I can do that. Totally do that. Yeah, but I just... figured for something like that, where um, Stemmage went and you know recomposed the whole songs, and now there's a, a start, middle, and end to each one of them. That I figured that would be the safest bet. Keep his work, you know. Yeah, it's, if the work is only for yourself, just do whatever you want. But 
for me, I like, really always like to be like as close feeling to the original. Like you don't, I don't want to hear like as fittings. Like you, when you play old CD based game on the, uh, like a Sega CD on PC Engine, you hear like the the silence at the end when you start the little CD track. I don't want, to, I don't want to hear that. I want to be like feel as a playing the original game, but just much with uh, CD quality audio. So finding the loop point in some of these uh, remixes is really really hard. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean that's uh, that's still on my list of things to do. I've just um, every time I turn around, there's ten more things I add to the list, and I get through five a week. But then there's yeah. ten more the next week, so it's uh, you know it's hard. And I, I really wish there was more hours in the day so I could start doing all these things because that's just, uh, you just can't imagine the fridge like I have in my head. I can just can't do because I got to work, and when I got to work, I don't want to program because I'm tired. My my brain is like I want to do other stuff, so I. Uh, yeah, I have a 3D project on my computer just waiting to get me time. So, uh, like, one of them is uh, when you look at my GitHub, you see, like, an arcade MTL mm-hmm. NHL 94 project. And the, the, the goal was that was that to use the expansion port as SNES to send, to send comments to our Raspberry Pi mm-hmm. and then do a digital scoreboard. Oh, well, that's pretty cool. Yeah, but the thing is, uh, since the Raspberry Pi work at 3.3 volts, but the SNES use it run at 5, so I have to do different converters, and this is the part that I just like, uh, I can lose interest because I have to do that before to figure out protocol between the SNES and the Raspberry Pi. Mm. And I asked uh, Kurti Mo, uh, Kurti Mo Kurti Moto, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, he's doing a, like a SNES um, connector. Mm-hmm. I received that. I tried it in my Super Famicom. And just I just broke it off like thirty uh, uh, fifth minute I got after I got it, and it's still stuck inside my Super Famicom. I was like, I just paid eighty bucks for that and just broke it in five minutes. Oh. That's oh man, I've done that so, before. I hate that. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I've like, looked at this project uh, in a while. So maybe when I'm done with uh, buying condo stuff and finishing Flint Hook, maybe I would get back to this, but. Oh, can see my cat in the back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, what are, are you working on? Any other MSU things at the moment? Now, I mean, I, I know you said you had uh, you just mentioned that other Met- uh, Mega Man one, but were there any plans in the future to do others? Uh, I'm I'm pretty burnt. I have a Acrazer Ac. I okay. started, but the thing is, it's like Chrono Trigger, and you, you use music to synchronize the game. Mm-hmm. So it. Like I said, when you have in the first uh, action part of the game, it waits for the the level music to stop before triggering it AI and the, the music of the boss. So currently, you see the end level boss and does nothing hmm. because he doesn't know the music of the level has stopped. And I was like, uh, and I was kind of burned out because Chrono Trigger was really pain to the ass to get it working. There's a lot of moment in Chrono Trigger you have to wait. It used music like sync points to trigger uh, parts of uh, like cutscenes. So in the bi- Jake Bike scene, when you finish it, there's like a pan of camera running around, and it waits for music to start to start triggering that. So I was playing the game. I was looking at the game. I was like, something is wrong there. I remember like something. I think there's more stuff. To- and then I look at the game. All oh, right, you have to wait. Because the SNES only four ports to connect with the sound chip, mm-hmm. so it's really pretty easy to figure out. Okay, what which register you use to connect with sound chip? I use this one, 
And then I just tell him, oh, it's already loaded. So it starts uh, the, ca- the camera panning. Also, the the ending used that to synchronize the fireworks and triggering the cuts, all the camera changes. Uh, also, the, when you use Epoch to go to Lavos, you use also music to synchronize stuff. So, yeah, you have Chrono Trigger was like, that's why the project took me like a, a year to do. And isn't, uh, isn't QWERTY Moto um, working on that now as well? Yeah, I'm really happy he's working on FMV stuff because I knew nothing about uh, the PPU part of SNES. I only like knew the CPU and the sound chip kind of thing. And uh, I I want to learn about the PPU sometime in, few, uh, uh, in the future, but I didn't get the time to do this. So I'm really glad he's doing this because I was so burned out on Chrono Trigger. Because during RPG, you have to do the whole game to test. Mm-hmm. But I didn't do I have to admit, I didn't do that for Crystal Cut of Mana. I just pray that everything works and let the people just come out with prog reports and never got any, so I figured out. I think it's good. But for Chrono Trigger, I know this game by heart, so I played this game. I can do the whole game with a, a new Game Plus for about less than 10 hours, so doing the whole playthrough of the game to test everything is really easy to do for me. You know, um, every time I say this, people get really upset, but I have never played Chrono Trigger. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, so, and now you... now that you guys are doing this, um, I'm finally when the MSU version is finished. That's when I'm going to finally play it. So the, the thing is, I think you have to experience the original version first. Oh yeah, that, yeah. I think you have to. That's why I said to one of my friend, "Oh, I'm going to play the MSU version." No, don't do that. You have to experience the real version first. Then you <laughs> you'll appreciate more the MSU version than than you have, because you'll skew the version of your game. When you use the Remission version, I think. So play the original one first. But still, play it on the SD to SNES. Just so you can reuse the save game to do MSG one. So we are because in Chrono Trigger you got New Game Plus. Well, I so was just can... gonna say too. Um, I, a lot of times I've swapped back and forth, so I could just start playing Chrono Trigger now and then rename the save file the same name as the MSU yeah. audio file, and then just pick up where I left off with MSU. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, if you can totally do that. That's why I did for. Because at the same time, uh, I was doing a, a web project in French for, to speak about music of uh, game music, mm-hmm. and I did Chrono Trigger as well. So I was using the original game to do uh, game and music capture. While I was doing the MSU one stuff, I just reused the same save game between the two. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. So um, for people that want to um, add their own music um, to pre-existing MSU. Oh, Oh, for existing one. Uh, yeah, that's one. Basically, it's it's the same type of thing that you sent me, where you have yeah. to um, use a program that plays PCM files, and then yeah. you just play each one individually, write down which one is which, and then convert your own sound to match it, and then drop that in with the same name to replace the original. So that's why in each of my readme file, I always put the index and the name of the the song, so you can do that yourself. Well, actually, right now, that's another project. I am got stuck on my computer. I'm working on a tool to make that easier, to do conversion between. So you do, we could take a wave or a flag, or maybe MP3. You set the loop point and configure configuration file and do everything at once. But uh, right now, it's working for simple project, but it doesn't work for like a complex project like Chrono Trigger. You, you have to do multiple... You have to compile multiple files, your file at one, and do fade in, fade out, and... So it's not ready to do that complex stuff, but for simple stuff, it, it's really it take the Wi-Fi and generate the, P, the PCM file directly. Gotcha. 
Now, to start from scratch, how does one even begin to do that? You, I would assume that you would need at least some basic um, SNES programming knowledge to even start. Yeah. Uh, actually, after having good debugging skills, is a, you have to be a programmer first. So that's the start. I know some Romacker just run Romacking stuff, and that's it. You can do that, but you have to be like technically savvy or have the correct, the right brain to figure that out. You can, but yeah, you have to be technically savvy to do that. And once you learn about the CPU, you have to learn about all this SNES communicate with the sound chips. But it's easy. There's only four ports in the memory to do that. It's like two one four zero two one four four one two one four two two one four three in hexadecimal, not in decimal. Mm -hmm. And you just put big points on right on that, and then you just digging in, digging, digging, and figure out the code. And some the goal is when you start that, you have to find a function that tells play music. One, play music two, play that music index two and three. That's the function you're looking for. And usually when you uh, put a breakpoint on the sound register, you read it down deep into the, the stack of this function. So you have to roll it back, finding uh, RTS, which is written to some routine, to go way up in the stack and figure out, oh, this is what the original function was that. Mm -hmm. It was just play music this. That's the basic stuff. And then you have to figure out, okay, how do you stop music? Or uh, is the game doing fit in, fit out? And when you get the game does fit in, fit out, you have to put a hook inside the uh, fuck. Uh, there's a king in the old console called V blank, mm -hmm. NMI. So it, this this is called uh, 60 frame per second, and you can just can't can stop it. So that's a good, pretty good um, part to put your code at one time base, because you know it's 60 frame per second, so you can just figure out the timing. I want the, the fade in to be 0 0.5 second and you just could, to convert to frames counts and get her. You got to fade, you fade in and fade out. But for RPGs, for Chrono Trigger, the game specify how much time you want to fade in and fade out. So I have to reverse engineer all the SPC doing the fade in and fade out to find out the timing. And it was, wow. a, he was a really pain in the ass. But at first, I was using uh, the Geiger debugger for SNES 9X. Then I found out about BSNES Plus. We can do MSU1, so I didn't have to do use two, two meters, and you can do SPC debugging. I was like, oh my god, <laughs> I got the best tool I have to do this. So yeah, it's a. Uh, well, once you get the hang of it, it depends on the game. The more the the one I got the most trouble with was like their US and European based developers because they, they used our kind of shortcut. They didn't use like a generic system to play music but doing Konami and Capcom stuff was really easy to do. And Squaresoft to a second extent is pretty standard as well so but RPG has more needs than our action game for music. So. Right. So how long did an average one take you? And I know you, you know Chrono Trigger is not a good example because that has so much to no, do with uh, like, uh, an average one I guess. I'll say how much time it took me to, to take for Megan 7 it took me uh, maybe 5 hours to figure out the code and doing the music editing took me maybe uh, let's say 2 days and Jeez. separated like not 2 days like doing this once in the afternoon one evening and 
But yeah, music editing is mostly uh, time-consuming part of the process. Gotcha. Sometimes it could be the the act, fight, reverse engineering part kind of part of it. But yeah, but the thing with Capcom and Mega Man games, like I said before, is the code is kind of similar. So once you figure out where the music code is, all the command the game uses the same. So oh, I don't have to find it. Uh, I just have to refine what command do and. Uh, yeah, basically. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so, what do you? Uh, what's next on the horizon? Any other projects that you've been working on that's going to come out in the short term? Obviously, you know you have the the company that you work for is having those games, and I'll, I'll yeah. make sure to leave the link in the description for everybody. <laughs> but any other side projects you're about to release? No, I have to. I have to finish the MSU one tool first. That's the the main side project I have to finish. Mm-hmm. Then uh, I don't know. I'm really like focus. Um, get it back in shape and find a new home. So that's my main focus for the start of the year. So maybe when the Christoph is done with the Rockman 40, maybe I will do this. So I'm not, I'm not promising anything. Maybe uh, if, if someone in the community wants to do it, I'm fine with it. Um, and maybe someday I should finish that crazier. <laughs> gotcha. Because yeah. you, um, you said you're looking for a new place to live. Are you staying in the Montreal area? Yes, I am. Yeah, I want to move to a, like a proper place. That, gotcha. That's why I said condo. So I want. I'm this place. I'm, I'm 31, so I need. I got lots of money in the bank, so yeah, that's a good. That's a fitting part to do. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, you know, there was a question I wanted to ask, and I just forgot. Um, what What do you suggest as a good way to play PCM files for people that want to check, um, the work you've already done and maybe use their own audio? Uh, actually, PCM file is just a uncompressed piece uh, wave. But without the adder, mm-hmm. there's a tool. Uh, there's some guy that wrote a tool that called PCM to wave. Just use that basically to convert back to wave. So use PCM to wave to um, to convert to, it to back. a wave file. Yeah, and then that's and it. And then you use right now. Use uh, wave to PCM to convert that. Uh, I made my own fork, which is faster. I, I took a, they, they like two version. There's a C sharp and a C version. Mm-hmm. I took the C version and made it faster because I know for some reason the guy who did this, uh, then what's the modification I did? I think it was really byte byte by byte instead of reading by blocks. So it, it is pretty slow to do that. I just mm-hmm. okay. I just made my own. So that's why I tell people in my act to use my own because it's way much faster. And also you can specify. A loop point and an output file at the same time. Gotcha. That's the thing you can't do with the C sharp version. So that's why I was looking for another tool to do that. And this, you can use the C or the C sharp version, and, but I prefer the C version and the mine, mine version, my fork to do, which is faster a bit. Gotcha. Mm. Gotcha. Very cool. Well, thanks again for coming on. And I'm glad we finally had a chance to do this. I think I just ah, saw man. the date on the email. It was from June of last year. So Yeah, something like that. I think when you did the, the interview with Retro Dan. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, actually, Dan was the one that introduced me formally to all you guys. Because, yeah. you know, it's it's funny. It's uh, When I first started doing the interviews, uh, I was a little nervous to reach out to people because I was afraid they'd be like, no, I don't want to talk to you. So <laughs> it was cool that Dan made the introduction with everybody. What the heck are you? Yeah, like, right. <laughs> but... Fortunately, I, I knew about your website for a while. Like I told in the beginning of the interviews, like thank you for doing the RGB stuff. Like your site is so much helpful for people. Just just go there. You know about PVM and switches, the right version of console to do and to get. And 
Yeah, thank you for doing that. Well, thank you very much. And it's uh, by the end of 2017, it's going to be completely redone and way more uh, interactive and e easier to scroll through more info. So that is uh, as much as I'd like to get to all these other little projects. That is 100% of, you know, I have to have this done by the end of the year. So hopefully, but, you know, by this time next year, everybody will have a way easier website to go through. So That's cool. But uh, I just thought about the retro then stuff. Uh, because you know there's a, some kid, bit of controversy about him. No. Yeah. Okay. So uh, uh, when I did Mega Man X, uh, yeah, I've I've stumbled upon this channel of Dracon on uh. YouTube. <laughs> I have to speak about this guy. Okay. Uh. So wait, no, Michael Badass Consoles always says, "Don't if you say Dracon's name three times, a stick of hot glue will appear on your desk." <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Don't do it. So, it's a curse. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, my approach when I did that, I just I just do the total opposite of this guy. So our first, I'm going to release my patch, and second, I'll just release open source. So that's why I release on GitHub everything. So I just released the state of my current state of Mega Man X. Was I was looking for 100% fan remixes, but I didn't. I wasn't able to find it anywhere. So I was just doing like part remixes and part PSP uh, for my own pack, and. Uh, I didn't want to release that because I was still working at Ubisoft, and it would be kind of not ethical to release a pack with copyright music from a PSP version of Mega Man X. And was just sitting here at my GitHub, and just I was just too busy to ask on Overclock Remix to find uh, new music. And then I found out my my friend told me, "Hey, check out this this news on Retro Collect." I was like, "What the hell is this?" And the guy just took my code and released it. Never, never asking me to do. I was like, what the hell is going on? So I just do some research. I follow about this guy. And then I follow the post on the Zeldix forum. I was like, okay, this is not right. This is, what the hell? I, I ask for apologies because you didn't ask me for that. I will just gladly let you do that. But you didn't ask me personally. I was like, I'm really pissed off. Really, really pissed off. But fortunately, he did apologize. But after that, he just ran off from the scene, basically. But... Gotcha. Well, everything seems cool with Retro Dan now, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's pretty cool. He, he did apologize, and when he did the interview with you, he did mention me. So, yeah, no, no, what's the term in, French, in English for that? No hard feelings. No hard feelings, basically, yeah. That's gotcha. his cool, and whatever you want to do a project, I'm, I really open arms about it. Just come, I would do a, co a collaboration with you, man. I, I don't care. Yeah, yeah just do it. You know, it's funny because a couple times people have accused me of, of taking other people's work. And uh, once or twice it was total by accident. I just forgot to put the credits and I immediately added oh, it yeah. and I felt bad. But um, most of the time it wasn't. And the funny thing is I brag about the people that I get to work with. Yeah. I, I, I think it's much cooler that I get to say, hey, look at these awesome people that I've been working with. and Look what they <laughs> did. And here's links to their website. But I'll always host it here for people that want so it just, it always, I never really got upset. I just kind of laughed when people were like, hey, you know, you just, uh, you stole my work and put it there. No, man, I spent about eight hours with a freaking multimeter soldering and desoldering chips to try to figure it out. We probably figured out the same thing, but if, if I didn't <laughs> did it first, I wouldn't have wasted my time doing it all over again. Yeah. So, yeah, it's funny. I just, um, yeah, I just, I, I would rather credit people. I, would, I get excited when I get to work with people that have way better skills with these things than I do. So It's always exciting, yeah. Like uh, like uh, uh, Rene from DB Electronics, like the guy is like, ah, oh, I I want to have to with hardware skills, like I want, yeah. 
Yeah, I like Renee. I'm actually, he should be the next interview because um, we kept yeah. missing each other. We talk all the time, but uh, yeah. as far as uh, interviews go, like we're, uh, we work opposite schedules, so it's hard to get, you know, get on Skype at the same time. But uh, I think he'll be the next one. I like him. He's a fun dude. He's a real fun dude. He did came to our festival last time and was really cool to finally meet him. And he's, got, he's from the, the north of Ontario, but he's, got, he's a French part of Ontario, so he got the same accent. And it's mm. pretty cool. He's a cool guy. I really yeah, love him. I think uh, he lives uh, very north. So I think he lives yeah. way out in the middle of nowhere, he said. I think so. it took him t- uh, 10 hours drive to go to Montreal. I think for it's back- less for, from New York. <laughs> yeah. New York is like six. I, I got to New York once, so I like six-hour drive. So Wow. <laughs> wow, that's but, far. No, that's not far from my hometown. My hometown is 12-hour drive. Wow. Way, way up, up there. In- Way up in the in the east, <laughs> so um, the farthest north I've ever been was Barros, Sweden, and I got to go in June where it was absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, it was gorgeous, and it never got dark. We left the bar at midnight, very drunk, and we walk out <laughs> of the bar, and it is just as bright as it would be at noon. It's a That's it's cool. a very That's strange cool. thing. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Wow. All right. Well, um, uh, I hope I get to uh, if you're going to the same show this year. I hope I get to meet you in person. And, uh, uh, I'm sure. Are you sure you're gonna see me? Because I'm, like I said, I'm part of the guy we're uh, putting putting this together. So yeah, I'm pretty good. I'm gonna get some colored beers and talk about nerdy stuff and absolutely. Okay. Yeah, maybe we'll do one big podcast with all of us. We'll get Renee on there too. Uh, my yeah, cousin Scott's I, coming with me. We should have a good nice. time with this one. So, nice, nice, great. Wait. Well, thanks again for taking the time to do this, and uh, I'll keep in touch as always. And anytime that any of your games come out, um, especially the ones that that are uh, 2D side-scrolling like that, that are retro style, just always send me an email, and I'll make sure to yeah. mention it on the news for everybody. Yeah, I'll go glad to do it. Oh, man, that was so bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a... That's the part to be a, not a non-English speaker. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right, man. All right, well, take care, and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was really good. And uh, for the next time, yeah. take care. Take care.